Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Missouri prisons have seen a huge increase in overdoses in the past year. At least five inmates died after taking controlled substances like heroin, fentanyl, and synthetic cannabinoids. Dozens more needed doses of Narcan to reverse potentially deadly overdoses. Where are they getting those drugs? As St. Louis Public Radio reporter Shayla Farzan recently reported, in many cases, they're coming from prison staff. Yet in Missouri, employees caught smuggling drugs into prisons have faced few repercussions. Shayla Farzan is here to discuss her blockbuster report. Shayla, thanks for coming on. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So how did you first get interested in this story? Yeah, so initially um, we were contacted by a um, former uh, prison officer who had worked for a couple years at Missouri Eastern Correctional Center in Pacific. And he told me that... um, over the course of his time there, he had noticed um, what he called kind of some odd things. Um, and one of those things was that um, he said that prison staff were were smuggling drugs into the prisons and selling them. And obviously, we don't take one person's word, right? So um, especially with, with allegations like this, like they're really serious allegations. Um, so I started following up with people, um, contacting people within the prison system. And I ended up talking to um, seven former and current Missouri DOC employees um, about this issue. And they all told me that, yes, employees are bringing drugs into the prisons and selling them. So these people that you found, they all ended up being on the same page in terms of they're all seeing the same problem here. Exactly, which was honestly a little surprising to me. You thought maybe somebody would contradict the the narrative. Yeah, yeah, I did. So what did you learn about how people are smuggling drugs into prisons? Aren't Don't they have safeguards in place? You can't just bring in a, a load of drugs. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, so it's kind of important to acknowledge that, you know, there are a lot of different ways that prisons are, are being smuggled into uh, sorry, that drugs are being smuggled into prisons, rather. Um, so, for instance, some more common ways that you might see on TV, for instance, um, visitors bringing drugs in, um, mail um, is another common way. You occasionally see these kind of off-the-wall smuggling tactics. Like, I think in the UK, um, a group had gotten caught stuffing dead rats full of drugs, sewing them back up, and then tossing them over the fence, which is just kind of Oh, my crazy. goodness. Um, did that work? Oh, no, they were caught. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, Such creativity. Oh, I know. Drones is another way. Um, but uh, those kind of, like, uh, crazier tactics, I think, uh, are a little bit less common, according to my research. And then, of course, you have corrupt staff, which is the focus of this story. And... Um, you know, when I'm talking about staff, I'm not just talking about guards. You know, we have kitchen workers, um, maintenance workers, uh, medical staff. I mean, one employee basically told me a prison is a city. It's like a city. And it takes a lot of people to keep it running. And it can be hard to monitor and screen all those people coming in and out every day. So they're coming into work and they're tucking these things into their clothing or into their purses and then later making a profit off of it? You know, I'll be honest. I'm not exactly sure how they're they're bringing them in. I, I would assume that maybe they might be tucking them inside their clothes. I mean, they're not going to be picked up by metal detectors. But yeah, that's that's an open question. You interviewed a former Department of Corrections employee named Jacob Riley. He was there for eight years, and he says he saw seven overdoses. We've got a clip of him talking about how the department handles employees who are caught smuggling. Let's have a listen. We call it getting walked out. If, if you leave now, you know, you're not going to get your unemployment, obviously. But, you know, you get to leave. No muss, no fuss, no paper trail. He's talking about getting walked out, that these people lose their jobs, but they're not being turned over to law enforcement. Did your reporting bear that out? 
Yeah, so Jacob was one of several um, interviewees who who brought up independently this process of being walked out. That's kind of the colloquial term for it in the prison system. Being you know, asked to leave. Exactly. They're brought to the warden's office when they're caught with contraband, and they're forced to resign. Um, and I think it's... It, obviously, they lose their jobs, but there aren't legal repercussions. They're not arrested. Um, and, of course, it's it's really hard to get definitive data on how often this is happening. You know, we don't know what's happening behind those closed doors. But but this is something that, that several interviewees pointed out to me. And these people that you talk to who are also prison staff, did they feel like a sense of, of injustice there, that this isn't right, that people are allowed to just walk? That was something that I heard. And I, I also heard from another um, former prison officer who said, you know, it also kind of breeds distrust among your group. You know, you you spend hours and hours and hours with these people every day. They feel like your family. And then when they're caught doing something like this, you know, obviously they're they're not often telling other people that they're doing it. But when they're caught, it it, it kind of feels like a betrayal in some ways. And it can put the security of the group at risk when you don't trust each other. So when these people are getting walked out, um, you said there's not anybody keeping stats on here are the employees. Here's the number of employees who've been forced out. Anything like that? At least not that they'll share with me. They'll the DOC ha- won't won't release personnel records. Okay. So it's hard to get any kind of idea of how often this is happening. So they must have loved that you were going in deep on this story. <laughs> <laughs> what happened when you first contacted them to say I'm looking into this? <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, um, so initially they were very helpful. Actually, they. Um, shared internal data um, that they had collected over two years, um, what you me- which you mentioned at the top of the show. You know, they showed that 430 inmates or so had in- overdosed in two years. Um, and uh, it took, a, you know, a couple months of back and forth to get those data. But when it come when it actually came to doing an interview, um, they they declined all of my interview requests. So I wasn't able to talk to their media spokesperson um, or their director or any of their task force heads. Um, And so, you know, honestly, it's difficult to get a sense of how they're um, addressing this specific issue of employees bringing drugs into the prisons because I wasn't able to speak with them. Um, Did did they give you a reason why they didn't want to sit down and talk about this issue? They didn't, no. Um, Although I did get an email from their, their media spokesperson, Karen Pojman, and she she did tell me that, that yes, they are carefully screening visitors and mail. They're occasionally um, searching the facilities with drug-sniffing dogs. Um, but she acknowledged that, yes, drugs are still getting inside, and this is a problem. And she even said, you know, this is a quote from her, we don't have definitive data on how contraband enters prisons because sometimes we don't discover the contraband till it's already inside. In her statement, did she address at all this idea of people being able to just walk away after they'd been caught, prison staff? You know, to be fair, I didn't ask her directly about that. That would have been something that I would have asked in an interview. Um, so no, And I again, they wouldn't give you that interview. Exactly. And we did, we did also reach out to Governor Parson um, about this because the DOC wasn't wasn't willing to speak with us, and you know I went back and forth with his spokesperson for about three weeks, and you know ultimately they also declined an interview request. You spoke with Destiny Hudson, whose father Donald died at the Missouri Eastern Correctional Center in Pacific, Missouri. Let's listen to some of the audio of her talking. He was very artistic. Like I got so many drawings that was like his passion and writing, like. Sometimes it'd be multiple pages, but at the beginning of every like letter, how my baby girl doing, and then you know I miss you. I can't wait to come home. I'll be home soon. Um, take care of your mother. He was just 
interested in me. Like, wanted to know how I was and, like, what I didn't know, what I liked. He was very invested. That was Destiny Hudson, whose father, Donald, died after having an overdose while he was in prison. Sometimes our society will just write off people and say, these are just prisoners. But from hearing her voice, you can tell there's a real human cost here. Um, Talking to her and people who've been affected by this, um, what would you like to see? What would they like to see happen here? You know, I think that mostly they're still just kind of searching for answers. You know, how was this able to happen inside prison? Um, You know, one of Donald's family members said, you know, when when someone goes to prison in our community, there's kind of this sense of like, at least they're safe. They're not going to get shot on the street. They're safe there. And and it's clear they're not safe, obviously. Um, and I think it, it was so important to me to talk to people like Destiny, um, you know, because from the beginning with this story, I, I really wanted to find a family that was personally affected by this. Um, I think it's one thing to say there were 400 overdoses, but it's another thing to put a face to that and say these people are grappling with this. Their their grief is raw. It's still on the surface and they're processing that. And I mean, to be honest, I don't think I've ever been more nervous for an interview than than before I did that interview with Destiny and her family. And did they end up giving you any feedback after the story came out? He did. I, I heard from them, and I made a point to reach out when the story aired, um, and they, they thanked me for it. Um, so, yeah, that's great. On the flip side of this, we've got these prison employees. What might induce a prison employee to become a drug smuggler? Oh, my gosh. I think it's – honestly, it's it's hard to say. I, I'm not in their heads, so I don't know. Um, it's complicated, but um, – the interviewees that I talked with for this story um, were kind of consistently pointing out two big potential drivers. One of them is money. Mm. Um, and so Missouri prison officers are the second lowest paid in the nation next to Mississippi. So they're making about $31,000 per year on average, um, which for comparison, if you go across the border to Illinois, they're making literally twice that. So wow, a, a prison officer in Illinois is making $62,000 a year on average. And even in Iowa, they're making about $50,000. So we're talking about big differences in pay. Um, And, you know, some of my interviewees pointed this out and said, this is making our staff vulnerable um, because, you know, the the temptation is, well, if you can make an extra $500 a week, bringing in some pills, bringing in a cell phone, you know, that that can be pretty tempting for someone who's basically making $15 an hour. Um, Although there are going to be some kind of small increases in pay. a starting prison officer come January 1st will see about a 3% increase in pay. But that's still, not going to make a huge difference when they're so much lower. Exactly. I mean, we're still talking about a, a substantial difference in pay across states. Um, another kind of um, important driver that interviewees pointed out was changes in hiring standards. So um, back in 2014, the DOC actually lowered the the, um, minimum hiring age for new officers from 21 to 19. And, you know, some of my interviewees said this is these these young officers are, are pretty vulnerable to being manipulated by inmates. And, um, you know, they may not necessarily have the life experience to kind of navigate some of these situations and may be more likely to be manipulated. We've been talking to Shayla Farzan about her blockbuster report about drug overdoses in Missouri prisons. Shayla, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.